The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. As we constantly move forward, there is a continuing and urgent need for higher education. It's necessary for tomorrow's future and for a dynamically changing workforce. As the need for education is changing, so is education itself. Welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education with your host, Dave Goldberg. In this program, we'll discuss the complex changes that are being made to higher education today, and we'll help you stay ahead of tomorrow. If you're a student, educator, or in the workforce. Now, here's Dave Goldberg. Good day and welcome to Big Beacon Radio, Transforming Higher Education. My name is Dave Goldberg. I'm your show host. And Big Beacon is a movement to transform higher education at bigbeacon.org. In every episode, we explore some of the innovators and innovations that are changing the world of higher education all around us. And you can follow live tweeting of the show at hashtag Big Beacon Radio. And today we're um, we're fortunate. We're we're going to talk about the year in review, the transformation higher education transformation year in review. And we've got uh, two guests. We've got uh, Mark Somerville from Olin College. Welcome to the show, Mark. Hi, Dave. It's great to be here. Yeah, good to have you on the show again. And uh, and we have a behind the scenes operator who's never uh, been on the radio uh, program with us before. But Emma Schoenfelner is uh, is the program assistant, and she's the one who who tweets and make sure that the trains run on, run on time. Hi, Emma. Welcome to the show. Hi, Dave. It's nice to be on the, uh, on the other side of the show. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's good to hear. And you've got a nice voice for radio, too. Beautiful. Well, so anyway, so we're going to have some fun here talking about, uh, about 2015. We're coming to the end. Uh, Thursday, we've got uh, New Year's Eve and all that that means and the coming of 20, uh, 2016. And um, but before we jump into that, I, I guess uh, maybe a little context. Uh, you know, so Mark, you've been on the show before. You're you're a co-author of a whole new engineer with me, and uh, among other, uh, that may not be as high point uh, the high point in in your life that I think it is. But uh, but uh, you've done many other things. What uh, what should our listeners uh, know about you before we get started? Well, I guess as as, as you know, Dave, I've spent a long time at, at Olin College and I've played a number of administrative roles. I think one of the things that uh, to a certain extent brought me great happiness in the last bit is I've stopped doing, playing administrative roles for a little while uh, recently and have started to get some time to, to think about things. So I'm, I'm having some fun thinking about both uh, the, the question of how we think about what it means to be a faculty member and incentives in higher education, which of course, you know, I think jumps off uh, very nicely from the work that we've, we've done together before and also thinking a little bit about uh, what the connections are between K-12 education and, and higher ed. So I'm, I'm having a lot of fun getting a chance to, to think about some new things uh, and not go to quite so many meetings. When I left the university in, in 2010 and, and stopped going to meetings, uh, faculty meetings, the mandatory meetings, and, and all that that meant uh, was, I have to confess, one of the, one of the happy moments in my, my life. And uh, Emma, so um, you're, you're, um, you, you uh, 
suffered through your higher education, if I can say say it that way, but you're not a higher education insider, but you joined uh, with us in Big Beacon this year, and you've been really a great help to the program. What should, what should listeners know about you before we get started? Uh, well, let's see. Um, as I said, yeah, not, not a higher ed insider, but I, um, just a bit of background, I went to uh, Columbia College Chicago, which is an arts and media school. So, uh, you know, not the traditional uh, academic course. Um, so it's interesting being kind of an outside observer, working with Big Beacon and, and meeting a lot of people, especially within the engineering world where I was very much, had, had nothing to do with. Um, so, you know, kind of coming from a, an outsider observer creates a, an interesting perspective. Well, you know, and that's interesting, and we're going to talk a little bit about profits and nonprofits later. And I can't, and I don't recall, is Columbia in Chicago a, a nonprofit or is it a is it a for profit like some of the other schools? Um, that are I mean, ascending? it's a private a private arts college. So I'm assuming that would mean hmm, it's definitely not a public. It's not a public college. That's for sure. Okay, so whatever yeah. you would qualify that as. Well, I think yeah, I think, and it goes back a ways. So I think it is probably a, it is a private nonprofit, but it's right. um, but it's an urban school, and the and the setting, as you as you said, is is much different than say going to a big public university or right. or even a a, a big a big private uh, sort of generalist university. Yeah, no no centralized campus um, in the traditional sense. No, you know, no quad life, none of that kind of thing. Um, it's a very kind of almost post-grad existence when you're going to an urban school because you're really just living all over the city and, um, you know, there's not really the, the same campus atmosphere. Yeah, and, I, and actually I think that'll that'll kind of be a nice uh, voice to have in our conversa- conversation today because so much of where higher ed is headed is in the direction, you know, is, is in the, in the uh, profit, uh, for-profit or even a non-profit private uh, with more of a vocational um, uh, careerist kind of orientation. So I think it's good to to have your voice uh, here with today besides your, your role in, in making the uh, – helping Big Beacon do what it does. So um, – so let's let's uh, jump in and and let's start with the radio program as a place to start. Uh, Big Beacon Radio started this year back in April. We we had uh, monthly episodes uh, starting in April, and then in September we went weekly. And um, and actually, it was we you know we were having such good guests and and uh, such a good time doing it that we decided to to go to the weekly format. And then when you look back over the the twenty or so episodes that we've had, uh, we've We've had really some terrific guests. Uh, well, all our guests have been terrific, but you know we've had some uh, folks like Dan Pink and John Cotter, Edgar Schein, Adam Kahane, and others. And and I, uh, leaving people off that list isn't uh, a, a negative indicator. But um, let, let's um, let's uh, let's start with you, Emma, mm-hmm. and um, g- give us one of your favorite episodes or topics or guests, and and uh, and what was it that that you found uh, interesting about them. Sure. Uh, my, I think probably one of my favorites was Sarah Miller Caldecott, mm. uh, who is the great grandniece of Thomas Edison. Um, and she really uh, outlined kind of the, the Edisonian way of, of working in a group and being an innovator. Um, and I thought that how she explained that and also connected that to, to how to connect that to, you know, modern day, um, whether it's in an academic setting, working in, you know, research groups or just general workplace grouping um, was a very interesting topic. And I, I highly recommend that show for anyone, 
um, even if you're not in higher ed. It was it, it, what for me as not being in higher ed. This was a very uh, interesting episode for me. Well, yeah, and I I I, I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed that interview, and and uh, I enjoyed being able to go through her her two books on the subject. The, the first one was about sort of Edison's. Um, method of innovation and then the second one was sort of more like uh, Edison's mode of collaboration and we I thought one of the things that came out of that episode that was so nice was that you know we have this the myth of Edison as a, as this lone inventor and and she just completely blew that up uh, and 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 I had I had known this from some of my research and writing too but it it's still part of the American mystique that Edison was this lone inventor inventing light bulbs and phonographs and all this great stuff, but nothing could be further from the truth. He was just, he was a collaborator par excellence and uh, created the kind of fun environment that now we see out at at places like like Google, and it seems to me the kind of environment that that Olin's trying to create. Mark, do you want to, do you want to Jump in on this one. Yeah, and that actually—I mean—that actually raises a really interesting question that I was sort of reflecting on as it's uh, you know looked back at the various episodes, and also you know certainly for me the, the a number of the guests who were guests that we really sort of thought about and and referenced quite a bit in the book were ones that really it was great to go back and listen to those again and and kind of be reminded of uh, of the great things that they had to say. But I thought. You you sort of made me think a little bit about um, about the episode with Shine and uh, his sort of reflections about about the sort of tension between teamwork and individual incentives and sort of what what sort of some of the underlying assumptions are in in cultures within organizations or within higher ed and I think it's it's interesting how we construct these this sort of you know the myth of the of the lone inventor whether it's Steve Jobs or um, or Edison and end up devaluing the the kinds of uh, teamwork and collaboration that actually actually lead to most of the innovations that we see in the world so that was it was sort of an interesting theme that I saw throughout was this sort of individual versus the the um, individual versus collaboration as as being a, a distinction between the sort of old way and the new way well and that's a really nice point and and so much and so much of what we wrote about in the book was this idea you know this the idea of the lone student as as and and the way that that's actually uh, that's a norm and that that's actually enforced that to to communicate with other students about work is is often considered cheating and so the the whole construction of of the university and higher education around individual work Mm-hmm. Although you know engineering is is you know has done a better job than many many fields in in busting that up in fifty or sixty years of of high quality senior design experiences and now other design yeah. experiences earlier in the curriculum but but still it per it 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 still is a persistent theme and 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 uh having a better balance and again like we say in the book all these things are all these things are polarity polarities it's not that individual work is bad it's certainly a good thing and it's not that that teamwork is bad or 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 good it's that we need to balance these polarities better than 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 we have exactly yeah and so okay so uh and we can come back we can come back to that episode and its themes and i I, you know, I think the theme of innovation and creativity will recur next year. It'd be my guess. But Mark, what you um, you mentioned uh, the the interview with Ed Shine, uh, but what was what was one of your uh, 
what was one of the ones that uh, episodes or, or topics that you'd like to call out? Yeah, well, I mean, certainly for me, I'd say the the Dan Pink episode, the Cotter episode, and the Ed Shine episode were probably the you know, I mean, to a certain extent, those are rock star episodes for me. So yeah. that it was it was sort of easy to identify those as ones that were really uh, really fun for me. Uh, the the Cotter episode, I particularly um, liked in part. I, I really enjoyed actually the 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 conversation about um, penguins in the in the outset <laughs> because yep. you know David's. You know, as you've uh, pointed out before, you're sort of a, you're a, a penguin guy, and and I was really interested to to hear Cotter's backstory about penguins, um, how they appeared in his books, and so on. But also, uh, the extent to which even that was this sort of example of, of sort of leading change and recognizing opportunities. So I I enjoyed that episode quite a bit, and particularly his his distinction between change management and change leadership was one that, although I've certainly heard it plenty of times before, it was great to to sort of be reminded about the, the difference between sort of trying to get things in on time and on budget with using a sort of managerial toolbox versus the sort of bigger leaps where you don't actually necessarily know where you're, where you're actually going to end up. And I think we're in higher ed, certainly in a time right now where we're, we're making those bigger leaps. Emma, what, anything to uh, uh, throw in there on, on the Cotter episode and, and penguins and such? <laughs> um, I was actually thinking of other episodes that I thought were very interesting. Um, I, I thought that the, the Paula Krebs episode recently. Well, um, yeah, I'd like, to, I'd like to stick on, let, let's stick on the, let's stick on, oh, I'd, okay. I have a few things to say about that if, if you don't have something to add. Uh, oh, um, no, it's fine. Go ahead. No, that's fine. On. We'll come and, and we'll come, I, I thought the Paula Krebs episode was good too, and so we'll come back and talk about that. But I, okay. I, I, I want to just kind of comment that, um, um, the I, I, anyway, I, I was actually you called out the penguin discussion, and and I, it was interesting. I, I thought that was an interesting example of uh, asking. I, I asked the question about the penguins, mm-hmm. and it was like it opened up. It was sort of opened up the whole conversation. It was one of it was sort of something that was emotionally engaging, and and uh, the the whole conversation opened up in an in a way that I didn't really. Uh, really didn't expect, and I, I thought the the whole interview was was uh, kind of oh, magical after yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was that was that was very cool. And and what you just called out, Mark, I really hadn't focused that much on his distinction between leadership and management. Of course, but of course, it's the it's it's uh, it's an important one, and it sort of smacked me between the eyes in in, in that interview. That that that's really important to that we're not just kind of. And I, of course, in, in the book, we recognize that there's nothing routine about change in higher education of this magnitude. But, but it's kind of moving, moving it along the, moving it along the lines in in in, in this way, um, in a routine sort of way, is not is is not what the, these big changes are about. And it, it really is about leading and and uh, the, you know the things that he talks about in. Um, in his articles and books about establishing a vision. I, th- I think the other thing that kind of struck me in that interview, too, um, was the way in which his thinking has sort of moved in a more democratic direction mm. um, from the early days. So, the, so the, in the early days, it was very, the change management and leadership was fairly hierarchical. The boss said what's going to be. You, got the, you put together a coalition, but that was from the boss. It was all fairly top-down, and, and this idea that uh, what's really needed is this dual operating system and mm-hmm. that there's kind of a messiness to it that's a little bit more democratic and and uh, 
that that emerges from um, from what people want, I, I thought was a was something that also struck um, uh, struck me. And it, it and when when you say compare accelerate his one of his more recent yeah. books to his early books, that 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 difference is really clear. Yeah, well, the sort of leadership as something that Obama and those guys do versus leadership is something that every, everyone needs to step into. I thought was a nice nice distinction. Yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 in terms of the kinds of things, I'm, I'm thinking about, um, uh, you know, I, I just enjoyed all our guests, but um, I, I guess I'd have to, um, you know, one of the ones that I'd have to, to um, but I, I thought there were sort of, there were, I, I enjoyed the ones on work. So, Mark, you mentioned the Dan Pink. That was largely a conversation about how work has changed. And then we had Carrie Hannon on the show. That was about how work has changed. And I, and I just I had Bev Jones on the show. And that's about how work has changed. And I just think that's so relevant for the world that we live in. Um, and the graduates that are coming out of coming out of school that 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 uh, the world of work is a different place and a lot of the misalignment of higher education is that it just kind of living in this um, this past of, of the way things were uh, Bev, Bev Jones talked about it very nicely last week when she was saying that you know you used to train for a particular role and you would go out into the world and that role would be there but the world that graduates is, are going out into is so so very different and 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 it's not and it's not just this kind of vocational sort of thing or this training versus education debate that goes on forever in higher education it's bigger than that it's like are we really are we really prepping kids with what they need to be able to go out and and find a career i think and and i thought that that was a nice nice theme that came up in in at least those three episodes and yeah. and others Maybe um, and actually, uh, this might be a good time to get our most recent grad. You know, so I, I wonder, as as a recent grad, Emma, whether how those one how those episodes struck you. I, I you know, like you know, when when I graduated, and and maybe when Mark graduated, it, the world was kind of a different place in terms of the workforce, and and you could train for something and go out and expect to get it. But right, yeah. You know, you know, what what's your sense of it uh, as mean, a as um, a recent grad and as a higher ed outsider? <laughs> right. Uh, well, I would say that um, the rough part of it, especially getting out, is the prevalence of unpaid internships, which I know everyone talks about, but it really does set us all out on on a very um, kind of, <laughs> we're kind of like starting out in the world underwater already, where it's like, okay, we're not getting paid for, you know, a, a large amount of time, actually. I've, in when I right out right away uh, getting out of school, I you know applied for a ton of internships. You know looked for kind of entry level jobs in my field, yep. and often I I saw you know um, we require two years of work experience, but internships don't count, or wording like that. Yeah. Um, and so you're starting with all these expectations where you thought, well, my degree must have allotted me you know some sort of entry into at least basic working and you realize, okay, you know, whatever work I'm doing, I'm not going to get paid. And then on top of that, you have, of course, the, the mountains of debt <laughs> that you're trying to get out from under. So it's a very, um, I think that students today that are graduates, you, you're kind of entering into the world a little resigned to like a pretty bleak fate 
which is not, we don't want to be in that position, and I don't think the, and society is not going to really benefit anyone um, as a whole, but it's a very um, kind of <laughs> depressing world to come out into. And we, you know, we went into school with all the hope in the world of being able to do what we loved and um, all these kind of things we've been told our whole lives. So it's, it's a wake-up call. And I know post-grad yeah. is always a wake-up call, but it's a, it's a different environment now where there's a lot more against us, I think, is uh, how millennials feel. Yeah, and I think that's a really uh, serious point. I was I kind of lost track of the time. We really need to take a, take a quick break, but I, I think let's come back after the break and continue on that a little bit. Mark, we'll get your thoughts on that, mm-hmm. and, and uh, we'll maybe say a little bit more about some of the episodes and then talk a little bit about the... Uh, uh, the the year in review. This is Big Beacon Radio with our special guests Emma Schoenfelder and Mark Somerville. And in the next segment, we're going to um, we're going to pick up where we left off here in this segment. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. 5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And buy a copy of the book that is transforming higher education, not just engineering education. A Whole New Engineer, The Coming Revolution in Engineering Education at www.wholenewengineer.org. So welcome back to Big Beacon Radio, and we're here with our guests, Mark Somerville and Emma Schoenfellner. And, and before the break, uh, Emma um, 
kind of laid some heavy stuff on higher education's uh, doorstep about uh, the hopes and dreams that students go into a higher education with, and then they come out and face a work world where where once the education was adequate for for work, uh, not so much. Uh, Mark, thoughts on this? Yeah, I guess, Emma, I was curious to ask you um, if we could identify what what has worked for you. So to the extent that you've come out and you face this world where, where things were, were maybe not nearly as rosy as you thought they w- would be going into, into school, what are some of the experiences that you've had either in school or in the workplace that actually have turned out to, to be in the right direction that have given you the, the kinds of experiences or the kinds of skills you needed? Uh, I think that especially in um, the arts and media is the... Um, the emphasis on collaboration, and there isn't that kind of attitude that I've heard that is in engineering where you, you know, look to your left, look to your right, you know, basically one of you is, or two, both of you will be here, or something like that, that kind of thing. And I think it's um, told to us differently in other mediums um, where we are more or less told that, like, you know, these are going to be your you know, your peers, these are going to be your coworkers. these are going to be the people that help you get jobs in the future. Um, and I have, you know, I, in, you know, getting unpaid internships and stuff, I still have benefited from that kind of networking um, mentality and the fact that even though I was going into a very, you know, competitive Hollywood environment, um, there was still that camaraderie that was instilled in us because yeah, I, I have a television degree. So television is very, is more than other things, even a very collaborative medium where you have to deal with, you know, a lot of different departments and people with different talents and whatnot. So um, I think emphasizing that was a healthy experience, and I, I think I have a better idea of how to create um, a well-functioning group from that. That's wonderful to hear that the, uh, the experience that you had in, in the sort of communication education was much more place much more emphasis on collaboration. That sounds like a very positive thing. What are some of the things you wish had been different about your educational experience? Um, let's see. Well, it's more the, the, the promises that are kind of unfulfilled, where you do feel, like, by, you know, entering out of college and realizing, okay, you know, there aren't, as many partnerships between the industry specifically and your school as was kind of toted um, when you went there. And I think that applies to probably most schools where they say, okay, you know, we're going we're gonna to find you a job, job placement is going to be the main, you know, buzzword um, where it's, it's not as realistic or maybe it's, it's kind of, it's a hopeful dream that people within the school have. Um, and actually putting that into practice is much harder to do. And I recognize that it's hard um, in all industries to really kind of break down those barriers. But um, I think having more sort of placement opportunities directly where, where you have to, um, you really have to kind of sell yourself. I understand that's, that's what you have to do in the, in the work world is kind of market yourself. Um, but more, more tools to do that um, and really... Um, you know, being able to set yourself up with more of a portfolio of your own work and have a body of work before you leave school um, is important. And I think that needs to be stressed probably in all disciplines. Yeah, and that's interesting. And, you know, and I, I have two uh, 
sons in, in their 20s, and, and they face some of these same challenges and some of these same promises, too. Um, my younger son went to Wabash College, and when, when he applied and, and started, it was, well, we've got this great placement office, and, and, uh, and 50% of our graduates are CEO, become CEOs and things like that. So there was, a, there was an overhyping of what could be delivered now and a lack of recognition, I think, of... Um, and, I, and this isn't just, um, well, it is in a, cer- a certain sense bashing Wabash College, but as a certain sense, uh, I think there's a lot of this going on where people are living in the past where they did have a track record like this and they haven't recognized that it's sh- that shifted and that the whole notion of what it means to find initial employment has really shifted and there's a different skill set that's needed beyond putting your resume up and, and going in the little cubicles where the recruiters come to campus. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole different skill set that's needed where somebody's really got to be a pretty darn good networker um, and have lots of contacts by the time they're a senior to have the hope of, of getting getting work. Now, there, there are fields like engineering where the demand is still very high and, and uh where where the old model of recruiting works, but there there are lots of uh, lots of disciplines or in the liberal arts where it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to be sold, you know. From the time we are very young, you know, you need a college education, and you can do what you love, and then you realize, okay, well, that's not maybe realistic in the yeah. world as it is set up today, and in yeah. education as it's set up today. And we're gonna we're gonna probably move on to the year in review, but uh, before we do that, uh, uh, Emma, you mentioned the episode with uh, with Paula Krebs as being one of your favorites. What uh, what was it that uh, you liked about that? Uh, well, Paula was um, you know in the humanities area, so hearing from a different perspective was interesting, and in, in how she connected that to engineering. Um, and what I actually found interesting about that was just how um, she kind of contextualize education as a whole as it, as it used to be um, in humanities and philosophy, English, that kind of that world, it was a very privileged type of person that pursued those majors um, where it wasn't like a vocational type thing. There wasn't really a job waiting at the end of that. It was more just, oh, you're going to be this like great philosopher member of society who's going to, you know, do things with charities, essentially. Um, so, I guess I hadn't really thought of that in looking at, you know, why, why it is so hard um, to place people in humanities and social sciences in, in jobs. Um, and so that was a, a connection that I thought was intriguing. Yeah, and uh, I, I resonated with, with that. I, and being a kid from Detroit and kind of middle, you know, kind of middle lower to middle class upbringing and, and, um, uh, versus uh versus people who who have more of an elitist upbringing uh, the the elitist origins of higher education go back to the 5th century BC i mean the the whole notion of educating you know plato wasn't um wasn't educating slaves. He was educating the wealthiest people in Athens and and that tradition goes forward you know in into the origins of the of the university in the you know 11th 12th centuries and 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 then forward to um, um, 
to the experience in the UK, and then and then the and then the whole the whole notion of compulsory education was based on these elitist models. So I, th- I think that's a really important. We talk a little bit in the whole new engineer about some of some of the origins of and and some of the <clears throat> some of the. Some of the reasons that there there are biases, for example, against engineering as a as a profession and something to be educated in, have to do with, you know, have something to do with the the low class nature of making and 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 the practical arts. And and uh, I just think we need to get over over some of those distinctions. It's not that those. It's not that that these other. Uh, topics are not necessary or important, but we, if anything, there's been a bias against uh, practice of all sorts. Mark, do you want to weigh in on this? Yeah, well, there, uh, there are a lot of sort of really interesting uh, themes running through here, but it, certainly when you think about what's going on right now in education, you know, one of one of the the sort of tensions it seems to be this tension between uh, sort of vocational education that is, you know, and where the primary purpose of the of education is is um, to get a job and sort of reactions to that from you know from you know the large colleges or various other folks you know questioning that that's the only value of education and I think I certainly you know want to think about um, the the emphasis that we place in the in the book on developing sort of the whole new engineer right developing people as as whole people right which includes the, the sort of making aspect, but includes a lot more than the making aspect too. Yes. I I I worry that a lot of the discourse that I hear around what directions education ought to go take this sort of purely instrumental approach of asking, will this get me a job or not? Which and certainly you know one needs a job. There's no question about that. But if the only reason why um, I'm going to college is is to get a job as opposed to as to as to grow as a person, I think that maybe we're missing something too. And certainly that. You know, that has elitist um, uh, sort of elitist history on the one hand, but um, at the same time, I think if yep. in a democracy that one needs uh, the, the citizens of a democracy to to be prepared to exercise democracy. Well, in a sense, you know, so in a sense, in a democracy, we all have the potential to be elites and to lead and to you know, um, and and there you know, there's lots of. Um, Lots of discourse on on the ways in which democracy, uh, you know, uh, trains its trains its citizens for that role through things like um, uh, service on juries and so forth. So, um, yeah, no, great great point. And and again, um, these things, these polarities are, you know, they're not. You know, we tend to we tend to lurch. From one to another, mm-hmm. so we, you know, so we say liberal arts. We we run over to that side, yep. and and yep. nothing's practice practice oriented at all. And then we lurch over, and again, what's a sensible management of this polarity? It's like so. How, you know, how do we spend enough time? And I, actually, I think an interesting bridge is uh, is some of of the things. And, and there were there were a number of uh, shows that were about coaching and mindfulness. It seems to me that. A nice bridge uh, bet- uh, between these things is 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 more general awareness. So when you sort of study disciplines, you kind of you're focused on the discipline and on mastering it. But then, what the heck's the discipline good for, or or how does this affect my life, or how how is this useful? Those kinds of questions typically don't get asked. And so, if we if there's some sort of 
if there's noticing, listening, questioning, and 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 an underpinning of reflection on on all things practical and um, and theoretical, it seems to me that that's actually a nice that's a nice way of managing the polarities that we're talking about here. Right, and I think certainly when you think about what what do we actually hope to have people leave college with to, in order to be prepared to sort of enter this new real world of work, I think this sort of uh, inclination to be reflective, a sort of entrepreneurial mindset, those types of um, abilities and, and dispositions are probably much more important than whether they've studied history or, or studied engineering. It, it's ultimately about how that person has grown as grown during the time that they're in college and whether they can then identify new opportunities as they move forward. Yeah, yeah I, I took a, a course at Columbia called Spirituality and Empowerment, and I think that uh, it was a very, you know, kind of group discussion-based course where we, we focus a lot on mindfulness and kind of bringing in kind of Eastern traditions and, and learning about that whole world. And it was a class that anyone in any major could have taken, and, and uh, by far it was the most beneficial course I took over my entire time in college. And I think every, and everyone in that class um, was amazed at how connected we all felt and how, how much better we all were doing as a result of that class. So I think that there's a place um, to, to have a maybe less, slightly less hippy-dippy version of that class um, in different, different types of schools. Yeah, I think we want to come back and we need to take a quick break, but I, I think we need to come back and, and talk about this a little bit more because uh, what you just said sort of uh, rang true for, for me, Emma, and, and is a theme that Mark and I have explored in the book. But it, the sense, you know, there is this sense of, of these, the word, some of the words we use, you know, spirituality, mindfulness as being hippy dippy, but there's also a sense in which we've got brain science and positive psych and a lot of, and, uh, 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 coaching practice, we got a lot of we got a lot of support for how to do this in a way that's uh, both effective and and practical and kind and and uh, and still has some of the far-reaching effects that you were just reporting. So let's let's just take a break and we'll come back and pick up with this theme uh, af- after the break. This is Big Beacon Radio with uh, we're talking about the 2015 uh, transformation year in review with Emma Schoenfelder and Mark Somerville and. Uh, in the next segment, we're gonna we're gonna pick up on on mindfulness uh, as a way into uh, talking about next year. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. 
you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And get the coaching and deep faculty uh, development and training you need to help transform higher education at 3joy.com. And uh, welcome back to Big Beacon Radio with Emma Schoenfelder and Mark Somerville and your host Dave Goldberg. And in the last segment, we, we ended talking about Mindfulness and Emma apologized a little bit for the hippy dippy nature of what she was talking about. But I think, Mark, you and I agree that there's no apology needed. And in a whole new engineer, we talked about the need. We had six minds for a whole new engineer, and one of them was a mindful, mindful mind. Thoughts? Yeah, well, I mean, I think as as you said, Dave, that the 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 sort of brain science at this point um, suggests that you know, as much as one can label the, the mindful, the sort of quote-unquote mindfulness stuff hippy-dippy, the, the reality is that it actually is well-grounded in neuroscience and that, it, that utilizing the, the things that we've learned from those traditions is, is something that makes sense, whether you're talking about the CEO suite or, or the classroom. So, yeah, I, I, I can understand why one uh, uses hippy-dippy, and certainly I would, I would tend to refer to it as hippy-dippy in certain, uh, in certain circles, but... I think the the important reality is that it's it's pretty well grounded and it's um, pretty powerful. Well, there's a there's a discomfort with you know. So we use the term a lot of mindfulness as well as a bunch of other stuff gets under put under the label of soft skills. A term don't call them soft skills. I, I've started to use the term shift skills, and with double or triple entendre on the word shift. But it but it seems like um, many of the things that are missing. In in uh, in the business world and in in higher education as well are the ability to sort of label and talk about these things that are actually really important to living a full uh, a full life. Emma, uh, actually, Emma, I was curious about um, your your calling out this class as one of the most important for you, and, and what was the sense of the things that you that you took from this class that uh, were so important for you? Uh, it, it was a class that um, it really built on many levels. It, it kind of started talking about things in a classroom setting that we wouldn't ordinarily talk about, like, you know, belief, not in necessarily a religious context, but just belief in terms of, like, our life philosophy. And I think bringing that up to a group of people who are, you know, in their undergrad career, that that's, 
something that gets swept under the rug and you're, you're kind of just focusing on, you know, grades, papers, projects, whatnot, and you're not really thinking about yourself as the whole person. So creating an environment like that where, you know, we're going around in a circle hearing other people, you know, who are our peers um, express kind of their thoughts and feelings about the world and how they see it um, was incredibly valuable. And it created an environment of, of people where, you know, at the end of our first course, or the first class, we were um, bonded in a way that, you know, we'd all never experienced in a school setting. Um, and that created a really beautiful space to continue to build and, and be vulnerable and open with each other for the rest of the semester. That's such a, such a great story about just the power of openness yeah. I mean, just sort of hearing you, hearing you talk about sort of this one one classroom day when, by sort of lowering your your barriers and uh, and actually honestly talking about who you were, you were able to to sort of forge these relationships that sound like they've extended for for quite a while afterwards. So mm-hmm. that's really great to hear. Yeah. Well, and Mark, we've seen this, and we've seen this also in our um, in some of our faculty ch- training and change that sticks. We have people kind of say about halfway through they go, you know, I didn't wasn't expecting this to be about this stuff and then but they're glad that it is it's like there's this thirst for conversation around uh around these topics and and uh and and it's it's really about purpose and meaning in life and and uh you know you, you want to talk about things that go beyond mere getting jobs and practice and things like that i think these kinds of deep conversations are and yet, um, we we tend to either we either well, so I'd say in the university we either tend not to have them or we tend to have them in a very abstract kind of impersonal kind of way. You know, we're again we're trying to, if if it's in a philosophy class, it's a it's objective and reason mm-hmm. about those things is the most important thing as opposed to experience around those things and and what things have meant to us personally. Yeah, it was sort of balancing that polarity between reason and emotion, right? Yeah. That, you yeah. know, that sort of a thing. The thing that struck me in in reviewing the various episodes was the the extent to which um, emotion as as a sort of theme that runs throughout the all of the episodes is a, a really strong one. So, um, in our time that's left, let's let's uh, let's split things up this way. So, so. It, in in many ways, it's been kind of, it's been a pretty good year for educational transformation. We've had new schools start and new change initiatives. We've had change initiatives continue. Maybe uh, you know what's one salient thing that's happened this year uh, in the in the sense of transforming higher education that you'd like to call out. Let's um, let's start with you, Mark. Well, boy, it's really hard to choose one, Dave. Uh, I guess I'll say that one thing that I I got to take part in some this year is there's a there's a new uh, engineering school starting in England uh, called Enmite, uh, and I got a chance to take part in the in a workshop that was kicking that that school off. And what was particularly exciting about that workshop was how much it felt like the conversations that. I was engaged in there with a group of people, you know, from from across the UK uh, and and international folks as well about what this new school should be like. That transformation conversation was just so much further along than than the same conversation might have been 15 years ago or so. And you know, when when Olin started, it's just really exciting to see how much 
the conversation around educational transformation has shifted and how much many of the many of the things that we I think say in the book are things that are now um, much much more a part of the conversation than they, they I think they would result in a lot of rolled eyes 15 years ago so that was an exciting thing for me to see yeah so that's that's really interesting so can, can you is there an example or can you sort of is there some is there some like and you were at the beginning or near the very beginning of a Volan start so you know how, how did those in what ways did, were those conversations different or how did they strike you as so different well, I think one thing that struck me as, as different was maybe the explicit emphasis on some of the ideas that we've been talking about today, like like reflection, uh, like the importance of culture and, and emotion. I mean, these the question of what is the actual student experience was one that we were were wrestling with in in that process. And I think that certainly when I came to Olin and was involved in sort of uh, helping to, to start Olin, I think that that question of what will the culture be, what what will the student experience be, was one that we, I think, largely thought about implicitly. Uh, that is, we we certainly did a lot of things in that space, but I think we're not as intentional as we could have been. And that over the over the sort of ensuing time, I think, that, you know, the experience that that you had at Illinois and the experience that we had in putting the book together and the experience lots of other people have had. I think have helped to to clarify the importance of culture and the importance of really thinking about what the of think, thinking about students as people and thinking about the experience they have as being sort of a fundamental um, component of trying to um, design an educational organization is that that seems like a shift to me. Comments, Emma. Uh, I know that this is you know you're you're not. As an outsider, but I'm kind of interested in your thoughts as an outsider and as a recent grad. Right. Um, I guess I've been I've been trying to kind of research uh, different things that have been been changing in higher ed, and it's it's harder to find than I would like because <laughs> um, I think it's very much within each in you know department or subset that that you really hear about the changes, um, and they don't really filter to the to the collective. But um, little things that I, I think is kind of a little cool thing. Um, I was reading something about applications going into college being more um, kind of personalized and portfolio-based, and I think that kind of goes with setting up a more you know collective. Here's a here's a good picture of a person even going into school um, that you may not get from the kind of basic common app type way of entering school, and I think that maybe even getting students in that way will put in a different type of student into education and then, therefore, create a different person going out into the workforce. So I think that's... Well, that's nice. Yeah, that's really interesting, the, 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 well, the, you know, and to be crass about it, I, that, you know, that the students more than their SAT or ACT scores is... Right. Know that the the common app is sort of an advance of beyond that, but but the idea that they're that um, well, it's a more humane lo- way of looking at the incoming student and and, and entry uh, you know selection processes like that at Olin, where it's based on an in, yes, it's based on some numbers and some applications, but it's also based on your interacting with people or. Are really important. I guess I'd like to call. I uh, I'll just call out the one. You know, so this year was the founding year of what we call the Educational Innovators Working Group, a group of a uh, right now about eight or nine schools around the world that are each doing something transformative 
and in, uh, uh, in different countries and different cultures, um, and and uh, the idea that um, that people can can share these experiences and learn from each other, um, I think is really powerful. And um, and it goes to what we were saying before about individual effort. You you can do that at the institutional level. We're we're all used to operating in institutions that work alone, and and the institution down the street or even across around the world is a competitor in a certain sense. But the idea that schools might band together and learn from each other about this new way of being um, is really exciting to me, and and uh, I'm looking forward to to uh, more of that. So let's let's uh, um, and that's not really a very thorough uh, year year in review and year in transformation. But let you know let's let's look forward. Uh, we've got about four minutes left in the show, and so let's look forward to 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 next year. Uh, you know, Thursday evening we're going to ring in 2016. Uh, uh, what uh, what trends do you see coming, or do you hope to hope to see uh, in in uh, uh, 2016? Who wants to kick it off? Well, I, I, so my wife works in um, in education in developing countries. So she works with the the with UNICEF and the World Bank and so on. And it's there's it's interesting to be to sort of listen in to some of the conversations that are going on around both primary and secondary and tertiary education in um in the developing world. Uh, because, you know, to date, those conversations have mostly been, you know, how can we build enough schools? How can we make sure that teachers are adequately trained and so on and so forth? And I was talking to my wife, and one of the things that she sort of um, was observing was how the conversations that we have in um, in talking about, you know, the whole new engineer and talking about transformation of higher ed in, in, the, in the sort of, you know, um, industrialized countries is a is a different conversation, and we were speculating about whether there was in a sort of interesting opportunity for leapfrogging to happen in developing countries in the same way that you know de- developing countries have not you know installed landlines they've just leapfrogged to the technology of the cell phone whether there are aren't interesting opportunities for developing countries to leapfrog from an educational perspective from from you know sort of not having a sufficient educational system to even provide for the the needs of provide education to, to the majority of the population to actually um, getting sort of not not adopting the sort of second best um, version of a, of a sort of industrial economy education, but instead to, to sort of take some of these lessons to heart. And so I think there's, a, there's an interesting opportunity for the world in recognizing that it's not just the sort of industrialized countries whose educational systems need to transform, but in fact the developing countries whose educational systems may actually have an easier time transforming because of the extent to which they don't entirely exist yet. Yeah. So that's sort of, that was just an interesting Yeah, that's interesting. And and I'm not sure what it, it certainly won't be in the next year, but it's always fast, funny how quickly changes um, take place once they get started. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting to see that you know, many of the Transformative experiences that are being created elsewhere are taking place in um, outside of North America. We've we've just got one minute left, and so um, to make sure uh, uh, our listeners can can get a get a hold of you both, uh, Emma, if, li- if our listeners want to contact you about uh, about your work as a spiritual advisor or your your work in astrology, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, you can go to my astrology website, which is ecotoneastrology.com um, E-C-O-T-O-N-E uh, Facebook page, whatnot you can contact me in a million different ways um, from there 
a lot of ways to connect uh, kind of spiritual topics to real world. So that's Great. what I like to focus on. And Mark, if people want to get a hold of you, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, probably the easiest thing is www.olin.edu, and it's mark.somerville at olin.edu. Great. Thanks for joining us, guys. Uh, for, it was a lively conversation. We could go on for for a little bit, but uh, we're going to close out uh, 2015. Uh, you've been listening to Big Beacon Radio Transforming Higher Education with uh, our special guests, uh, Emma Schoenfellner and Mark Somerville. Um, help transform higher education and join the movement to unleash a new generation of innovators by learning more at bigbeacon.org. Uh, join us next uh, week. Uh, join us in 2016. Next week, same time, same channel as we continue our quest to transform higher education. Thank you for tuning into Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Please join Dave Goldberg soon for another edition. Listen every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For additional information about our programs or to find out about the next show, please visit bigbeacon.org. We'll talk again very soon.